Well, there we go. The time just gone 15, 16 minutes past seven on Radio Veritas. And a very good morning to you, Father Russell. Good morning, Father Emil. It's Africa Day today. Africa Day today. Tell me, Russell, the largest Christian church building in the world, where in the world is it to be found? Do you know? Oh, no, you've got me there. Okay, don't worry. I'll tell you at half past eight. I'll tell everybody at <laughs> half past eight. Okay, let's get on with the with the with the <laughs> with the business for today. Well, the flavor of the day has been the visit of Pope Francis to uh, uh, the visit of the uh, President Trump to Pope Francis. I must say, Francis looked rather glum in all the photos I've seen. Yes, it was a very interesting visit. Um, Pope Francis kind of seemingly not as uh, sort of uh, what would one say, uh, you know smiling and mm. and friendly is what one would normally expect. Uh, I got the impression that in many ways he was simply just following protocol yesterday when uh, Trump visited him, although it is true to say that when they emerged after their meeting, the Pope seemed to smile a little bit more than what he did before they went in uh, for their meeting. We know, of course, that uh, there have been uh, tensions between uh, the ideological uh, path that the Pope has been speaking about and the one that uh, Trump spoke about. And we know, too, that Trump made a number of uh, remarks about uh, Francis during his, his campaign, his electoral campaign. Right. Uh, so, for example, he told the Pope that he shouldn't muddle in politics and that he should get on with praying and doing what he's supposed to be doing when the yeah. Pope spoke about uh, not building walls, mm. uh, no doubt overtly referring to what Trump wanted to do in Mexico. And we also uh, know that uh, Trump uh, called uh, climate change a Chinese hoax. And we that's something that's very close to the heart of, of, of Pope Francis. So they met yesterday in the Vatican at mm. 8.30 a.m. A rather interesting meeting, too, because it was the very last minute that this meeting was set up. Uh, the U.S. authorities asked if, if there might be a bit longer or more time for the Pope to meet with Trump, but the Vatican said that uh, on a Wednesday the Pope has an audience, and therefore you know he needs to speak to that. So uh, Trump was only with the Pope for about 29 minutes, uh, all in all. Right. Um, but he did spend a lot of of time there afterwards. Apparently, he was in session with people like Cardinal Piero Parolin, who is the Secretary of State, for about 80 minutes or so, and also Archbishop Michael Gallagher. Uh, they, they they discussed uh, a number of things. Uh, you know, they discussed issues of peace, obviously, interfaith dialogue, religious freedom, mm-hmm. the role of the American church in education, healthcare, and support for immigrants. Uh, they spoke uh, about, uh, you know, good bilateral relationships between the U.S. and the Holy See. Mm-hmm. And they also spoke about their joint commitment to favor a life of religious liberty and freedom of conscience. You know, of course, this has been a big issue in the state, the question of religious uh, liberty. The Vatican issued a statement in which they expressed hope for a serene cooperation between, uh, you know, the state, uh, the U.S. state and the Catholic Church, yeah. which is engaged in service to people in the fields of healthcare, education, and assistance to, to immigrants. Um, you know, they spoke as well. Uh, they, apparently the Pope spoke about his uh, view on international affairs with, uh, with Trump. Uh, and uh, uh, he made special mention, of course, of the Middle East and the protection of Christian uh, communities there. Um, what is very interesting and uh, quite ironic in a way is the man who told the world that uh, 
you know, climate change, the Chinese hoax. There's no indication that they actually spoke about uh, climate change. But as a tradition, they exchanged gifts at the end of their meeting, and uh, Trump gave the, the Pope sort of elaborate uh, candle holders. But what did Pope Francis do? Pope Francis gave him a copy of Laudato Si, his uh, <laughs> uh, book on the environment, or his critical on the environment. And apparently, uh, not just uh, Laudato Si, he gave him a copy of Amoris Letizia and also Evangelic Guardian, which is traditional for the Pope to do that. Mm. But apparently the Pope quipped when he gave it to them, something to the effect of, I hope you're going to read these. So uh, the Pope, uh, in, in that gesture, making a pretty strong statement about uh, climate change when he knows that uh, Trump has backed off, has uh, taken uh, you know a, a, lo- a lot of funding away from climate change, etc., etc. So um, an interesting visit. I'm not sure it's going to make a huge difference to the way that Trump does things, uh, but uh, you know, I'm really of the opinion, uh, Father Emil, that actually Trump needed to be seen with the Pope more than what the Pope needed to be seen uh, with, uh, with Trump. Mm. And the fact that within 10 minutes of uh, Trump leaving his presence, Pope Francis was out in the square visiting and talking to people that come to the general audience sort of suggests that for Pope Francis it was just another day of work. He didn't give too much special uh, recognition to the fact that the U.S. president was there. Uh, he, he acted cordially. He did what protocol demands. But the shepherd really wants to get out amongst these people and wasn't too interested in, in the goings-on with uh, Trump. Right, yeah, yes. Well, it's, um, Trump did say, I think, afterwards it was a, a wonderful meeting that he had with the Pope. I forget how oh, he, he put tweeted, it. He tweeted that it was a, a chance of a lifetime, an absolute privilege to meet the Pope. Right, yes. And uh, he did tell Pope Francis, which one could hear, actually, if you watched it live, um, he did say to Pope Francis, I'll never forget what you told me. So it would be very interesting to know exactly what the Pope did say to him. Yeah, yes, yes. Oh, well, there we go. So all in all, a good visit by Trump to the Pope. Um, but as, as you say, it's more a question of Trump being with the Pope than the Pope being with Trump. I think so. And I think, you know, um, the two men are so far ideologically, they mm. probably would uh, agree on stuff like religious freedom mm. and, you know, a couple of other issues. But, you know, Trump's major strategic um, ideological uh, direction mm. when it comes to things like migration yeah. or world economics. Uh, you know, I mean, they're just not on the same, they're not even on the same universe. I mm. mean, yeah. you know, Trump is very much a capitalist. We know he's, he's hardcore line with migration, uh, you know, and, and things like that. I mean, and, and this just flies in the face of everything that, that Pope Francis stands for. Mm. Um you know, and and he and Pope Francis was never, is never going to back down on those positions. You know, yeah. so whether Trump softens or whether, um, you know, there's 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 a sense that maybe he might rethink this. I, I mean, who knows? You know, it's up for grabs. But certainly, I don't think that the that Trump would have had much influence on on the Holy Father himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, interestingly enough, his daughter Yvanko uh, met with uh, the community of Saint Egidio uh, while they were in Rome. His wife, Milana, went to the Jesu, is it a Bambino, the, the, the Vatican Nine Hospital, where, where Pope Francis visits. Right. Um, I- interestingly, at uh, St. Egidio, uh, uh, his daughter, Yuvanka, signed an agreement uh, a- around issues of human trafficking. We know that St. Egidio has really been a, a very powerful body and institution in the Church 
uh, which is which is mostly lay lay run that tries to work getting various governments uh, to stand for certain uh, humanitarian and, and moral issues. We also know that people like Senegide were heavily involved, for example, in brokering the peace in Mozambique. Mm. So it's interesting that, uh, you know, members of the Trump family went there, and it would be interesting to know, which we don't really know at the moment, um, what are the kind of issues that Senegide would want to pursue mm. with the Trump administration. What, you know, what I find strange is that the daughter of Trump goes to Sant'Egidio. Is that not a bit of a slap in the face for Sant'Egidio? Well, you know, who knows who, who was invited? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Sant'Egidio, uh, you know, maybe they would have liked to have seen a first lady herself. But, you know, I've always got the impression that Sant'Egidio are not into position or status. They really just want to get the work done. Right. And so, therefore, whoever was willing to come and see them, they would have been happy to, to, to meet with. Yeah. Um, you know, it might have been good for... for and I, I suspect that some of the aides of the U.S. government were, were went there with her. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, the interesting thing is, you know, the, the Vatican's very powerful man uh, when it comes to international relations and politics is uh, Cardinal Parolin. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we know, for example, that he was involved in breaking the deal between the U.S. and Cuba, Right. Just as an example, uh, and 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 Trump spent a lot of time with Parolin, who is an, a very good diplomat, but also a man who knows his own mind. So that meeting, I think, would have probably been one to be much more aware of and right. also watch mm. than, say, for example, Trump just meeting Pope Francis. Mm. Okay, all right. Anyway, interesting. Um, I, I, I thought I might find something about the, the, the visit of Trump and, and the Pope on the, the news last night, but of course nothing here. And even on CNN, I didn't see anything at all. They covered it live yesterday morning, step yeah. for step, um, on CNN. And, okay. uh, and then uh, I noticed it was running a few bulletins. Uh, some local media had it as a tail story to their news this morning, but you're absolutely right, uh, there wasn't much given. There was, of course, news reported on on, on Trump being in Belgium and things that that That's happened right. there, yes, yes. because he he's he's gone there now for the for, for a meeting there. Mm-hmm. Um, I must say the great uh, the great irony, uh, and uh, maybe maybe even a little bit uh, uh, naughty, is uh, Father James Martin, a Jesuit in New York, who's the editor of the America magazine. He um, he posted a great picture on Twitter of uh, Trump and his wife, Melania, standing in the Sistine Chapel before the Last Judgment. Mm. And he just said, Trump stands before the Last Judgment. It's a great picture, the, the back of Trump standing <laughs> looking at the Last Judgment. One can make of that whatever you want. <laughs> All right, uh, Father Russell, let's move on. Manchester bombing, my goodness. Three more have been arrested now. How many are arrested now? About five or seven or something like that. Something like that. Um very tragic, you know. Absolutely. Um, and the UK, of course, rising, raising its terror threat now to, to the highest level of critical, meaning that more attacks may be imminent. I see that the Palace of Westminster has been closed to the public following police advice and will not you know, open again until uh, further notice. Um, you know, I see the Home Secretary said that Monday's attack was more sophisticated than some of the attacks we've seen before, and it seems likely possible even that, you know, that this man wasn't working alone, mm. that, you know, he was working with others. Um, but, you know, Father Emil, once again, you know, the, the sort of uh, the, 
the, the callousness of an attack because we know that most of the people that were there were young people. I just read a, a mm. terrible report this morning mm. online of a, of a first aider explaining how this little girl of eight or nine yes. uh, who had been hit that he wrapped uh, her in, uh, in, in, his, in his coat mm. and was holding her and she was crying just saying she wants her mom mm. and then she died. I mean, these terrible stories of, mm. of this inhumanity. Mm. Um, you know, and, and, and when Pope Francis, for example, meets with Trump and they talk about the, the critical situation in the Middle East and, you know, the relationship with, with Islam, I mean, well, well not, not Islam, but this kind of, uh, you know, this fringe uh, Islamic fundamentalism, as they call themselves, you know, one sees how important these kind of engagements are. Uh, because I suspect that you know this whole question of terror is not over, and these terror attacks are not over. It's going mm. to it's going to get uh, worse and worse and worse. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, uh, the, the, you know, I see that that the, I mean, Pope Francis sent a message to the people of England and Wales, right. and uh, Cardinal Vincent Nichols has called it a shock and dismay. Yes. Uh, it, it's just terrible to yeah. see this kind of thing happening, mm. and it just shows how broken. Mm human relationships are mm. and how broken communication is between mm. between peoples of different nations and you know i'm not sure that the, the, the current political uh, uh, elites are actually capable of finding a way through this mm. you know around the world people are really really angry with with what has happened here and and uh, you know one wonders is this anger justifiable and with all these young people being killed their, their futures cut short and so on how do we deal as Christians? How do you deal with this anger? I mean, I know that people watching all that has happened uh, were in tears. I know some personally, I know some people who were really personally upset to see what had happened here because these were young people with a future ahead of them. Um, uh, and, and, and this is what happened to so many of these young people. But whether young or old, you know, people are so angry and justifiably so, I suppose. Now, how do we deal with this anger? I mean, I think this anger is justified, and I think we have to listen to the anger, because I think what happened is travesty, the fact that these people were killed. However, we cannot, you know, although there's the, the, the angry kind of initial response, and, you know, one can't even speak for, one dare not speak for the people who lost their lives um, and for their loved ones. Mm-hmm. But we have to move beyond that anger. Mm-hmm. and the more this kind of thing happens, the more we have to interrogate the question as to why. You see, it's easy for us to say these are terribly evil terrorists, mm-hmm. and these deeds are indeed evil, uh, what these people are doing. But I, are we not, we're not going to the root of the problem here. Mm-hmm. We, you know, and the kind of rhetoric that, for example, uh, and I'm sorry to bring it up again, that people like Trump have in the past uh, used against for example, the Middle East or, or whoever else. I, this is not helpful stuff. This this heightens the temperature, I think, mm. and makes one more vulnerable to these these sorts of incidents. Mm. I think what we have to do as Christians is we have to call it what it is. You know, a terrible travesty of justice. We we need to we need to feel that righteous anger, mm. but we need to do something more. And you know. Father Emil, I heard a story at, uh, uh, I heard it actually before, but I heard it again. I was reminded of it at Barry Wood's funeral. The story that he used to tell about the villagers who live down, uh, you know, stream, and these bodies would come down the river, 
And what they would do is, you know, they would take these uh, people out. Some of them were dead. They would bury them. Others of them, they would look after them. And they would, uh, you know, they would care for them and they'd make them part of their own village. And he said, that is compassion. That's not justice. He said, justice would have demanded those people go upriver and find out where those bodies are coming from, why it's like it is. Mm. And I think the world is not answering those questions. And why is it that that some people in the world feel so marginalized and so angry that they carry out these kinds of attacks to try and make a point? It seems to me that engaging with that question is something very important for us to do as well. If one looks at how people in the Middle East, for example, have been bombed in the last uh, two decades, Mm. uh, and the anger that's given rise to the millions that have been killed there through through bombings by superpowers like the U.S., it's a very complex thing. Mm. And we we need to try and see the thing in perspective, Uh, you know, because I think there needs to be a certain amount of anger about, you know, what the the Bush administration did when, when they just went in and thousands of women and children were wiped out by the Americans dropping bombs on, on places like Afghanistan and Iraq. Mm. A lot of what we see now is that some of its roots in, in what happened then. Right. Um, so, you know, yes, we need to be angry and we need to call this evil because that's what it is. I mean, this is the, this is the work of evil. Mm. On the other hand, it's much more complex than just saying these are some uh, evil people, uh, you know, who need to be brought to justice. There's there's a whole system that we need to be challenging, and that I think we need to use righteous anger to fuel a kind of, uh, you know, a way of thinking about it, a way forward. Yeah, okay. Well, thank you for those thoughts, uh, uh, Russell. It's always interesting hearing your comments about some of these things, but it, as you say, it is more complex than meets the eye, and we should really ask what's happening up the river, ask questions about why is all this sort of thing happening, and not just responding to, responding angrily to what has happened. Let's move on quickly, if you don't mind, to Brian Molefi and ESCOM. This is a bit of a flavor of, flavor of the month here in South Africa. That's another thing where we should feel righteous anger and ask ourselves what's happening there, really. Yes. Um, I mean, it's bizarre. Yeah. You know, I, I, I was, I, I just, it was very funny. I mean, you know, if one doesn't uh, laugh, you'll cry. Um, I noticed that somebody on Twitter said the other day, the only excuse left now for Molefi as to why he, he, he sort of left ESCOM and came back was that he was on maternity leave. Um, <laughs> but, you yeah. know, we've heard everything. We've heard the fact that he resigned. Yes. We've heard the fact that he took early retirement. Mm-hmm. We've heard the fact that he was on a leave of absence. Mm. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's bizarre. Mm. I, he was on unpaid leave. Mm. Um, and it seems as if on, on, on Tuesday, after, you know, MPs in, in Parliament's Public Enterprise Committee uh, questioned him, they were none the or questioned ESCOM and what happened. They were none the wiser. Yeah. You know, and, and, and the only thing that people can say is they express serious concern about, about what's going on at, at ESCOM. Mm. Um, you know, it's obvious that Molet is not acting alone. It's obvious that there's a whole, uh, you know, cartel that have engineered whatever, whatever's happened there. Yeah. Um, you know, I see that uh, the, the the acting chairperson of, of that of that committee, Ranzo, has summed it up by saying the committee would continue to see Molefe's return to power uh, to the power utility as an illegal thing that happened in ESCOM, and until he's persuaded otherwise. Yeah. But you know, there are so many things like this where the blatant uh, what's the word? The, just the, the blatant 
sort of disregard for the rule of law, for protocol, for, for, for just common decency, it doesn't seem to even feature anymore. Mm. You know, that, that we act with complete impunity. I mean, you know, even if Walefe, if he did all those things, if he was on unpaid leave or a long leave or whatever he was, the fact that, that he was sworn into Parliament as an MP is in itself, yes. uh, you know, illegal. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it boggles the mind, but I think I think it, it once again is a um, uh, what would one call it? It's it's a sort of a, a symbol of just how uh, uh, there's a, a complete failure in in leadership, and it's a symbol of how you know when you can't put things right in 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 in, in the top echelons of power. You know, it starts to filter down into into all these other things. Yeah. Uh, Zuma himself has acted with complete, impu- you know, impunity when it comes to all sorts of things. Yeah. Uh, and here we, we we see it again. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, with a state-owned enterprise, mm-hmm. I can't see this thing ending in in in, in a happy ending. I mean, uh, somewhere along the line, the wheels are going to fall off, mm-hmm. and that could be, uh, you know, Molesic goes. There's a dog fight. There's another big legal battle, or it could be something like all of us every day are going to be impacted upon because uh, we, we're going to have power cuts again. I mean, I just can't see this whole system hanging together mm. if this is what's happening. Mm. And when these types of things happen, like with SAA or like with ESCOM, we need to remember that all the attention is given to the shenanigans in these offices and the actual production of the service, mm. uh, you know, is something that's neglected. And then you're going to find companies leaving the country, like GM. Yeah. Like I mean, General I think, Motors. I think it's slightly more... I think it's I think it's more complex than yeah. than uh, you know just this uh, GM leaving, yeah. but certainly they are creating an atmosphere of of mistrust, mm. an atmosphere where you know people are nervous, mm. where the market is volatile, yeah. and you, you know if you were a big uh, company that wants to invest in South Africa and you mm. need electricity and you saw what was going on at ESCOM yeah. and you know that they're the only electricity provider yeah. your confidence would be lower than you than normal to That's say right. okay well let's let's invest in this mm. in this country mm-hmm. um I, yeah i don't know i mean yeah. I, it's 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 deplorable and then we heard yesterday uh, that uh, some people in the DA and we need to be careful when we listen to all these things because Politicians also play games, yeah. but some people in the DA are claiming that uh, the documentation uh, that gives all the information about what's happened with Molefe was being destroyed yesterday so that uh, there was no trace of, of any of the stuff, uh, you know, um, when it comes to, 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 to holding them accountable. Mm. So, so it's a very worrying situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Molefe's got no integrity. Mm. Molefe himself... You know, it's a bit like Zuma. How can you continue to act as you are when you know yeah. that there's such a strong wave? You must have a, you know, I would love to have a skin as thick as those guys, uh, you know, elephant hide, but nothing seems, everything seems to bounce off. Yeah. <laughs> Russell, we've gone on a long time, but uh, final word, today's Africa Day. Any thoughts about that? Yeah, good, good. good. T- you know, I think we're so bogged into domestic politics here in South Africa um, you know, it, it, it's good for us to, to remember that we're part of a bigger continent. Yeah. Um, that there are some success stories. Uh, there are some failures, like on any continent in the world. You know, South Africa, I think, very often has sort of related to to what might it be, Europe or, or 
because of the, the history of this country. But to remember that we, we're part of, of, of uh, a continent, um, uh, you know, that is in many ways facing the same struggles as, as, as what we face in South Africa. Right. And yet there are places around us, even on our immediate borders, like Namibia and Botswana, who, who are sort of stable countries that are, that are economically doing okay. They're not without their problems, but, uh, you know, and I think it's good for us from time to time to be reminded of that. Um, right. I think we can become, with all the drama in, the, in, our, in our politics, we can become quite insular and uh, forget, uh, you know, that uh, we're, we're part of this, this bigger body. Yes, and, I, and I think the other thing to say is that uh, in recent years, with, with immigration and stuff, we, we hear more and more how, you know, South Africa is, is a place that, that many people have come to, other African nationals, and to also celebrate some of the contribution that they've made. I mean, we know many people who have come from other African countries who, you know, have started small businesses and, and do all sorts of things and have made a contribution to, to our economy. Right. So, you know, Africa made a contribution during apartheid years when, when many people were in exile and were looked after in other African countries, but now many other Africans have made a, a contribution to, to the South African economy since, uh, since mm. democracy. Mm. It might also be a time where we look at our own checkered history on, in the way that we treat uh, foreign African nationals, uh, you know, uh, on, on a day like this. Mm. So, um, uh, you know, a, a good day to, and I hope that it's given some prominence today in, in, in the news, right. given all else that's happening in the that's country. Right. Yeah. Russell, thank you very much indeed. Lovely talking to you, and I wish you a wonderful day, and thank you for all your thoughts. You're welcome. Thank you so much indeed.